Good morning. And my name is Peter Nakotra, and I am the pastor of Grace Baptist Church in Woodhaven, Queens. I have been friends uh, with your pastor for, I think, from the time he got saved, actually, back in around 207, 208, uh, and have been very blessed by his growth and his grace that God has poured out on him and the ministry he has given him. Uh, and was delighted when he said, would you come and bring the word? And so it is always a privilege to bring God's word. It is a privilege to sit and listen to God's word. Amen? It is the, uh, the climax, if you will, or the apex of, of our service is the word. We sing and we rejoice. We hear the words in even the, the songs we sing, uh, and they edify our souls. But the word, that's how God grows us. Amen? Well, turn with me, if you will, to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm going to look at just three verses, but I'm going to read the whole chapter because it'll set it in its context. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And there we read, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age is blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. For we who live are always being delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Let's pray. Father, as we now come to your word, we don't want to hear from a man. Uh, we want to hear from you. 
And Lord, we pray that by the power of the Spirit, you will enable us to receive your word, enable me to preach it. Uh, And Lord, we would receive it as it is, your word. And we would believe it. And Lord, we would so desire to live it. Lord, meet us where we are. Change us where we need it. Bring glory to yourself through it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Paul started uh, chapter 4 saying, Therefore, since we have this ministry, uh, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. Uh, And the ministry he's speaking about uh, is that he has been made an apostle and is a minister, as he will say in a few chapters before, of the new covenant. And what comes with being a minister of the new covenant or the gospel are trials and troubles and suffering for Jesus' sake. Uh, And lose heart means to be utterly spiritless, to lack courage. It's to throw in the towel, to quit, to compromise because you've been beaten down. It literally means to give into evil. Uh, It's where a person becomes faint-hearted or despondent because of their trials or their difficulties. And if anyone could have lost heart, it was the Apostle Paul. I mean, it was the Apostle Paul. He said in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, uh, For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. And he was constantly persecuted, constantly having to look over his shoulder. He had enemies everywhere he went. And some of them wanted to hurt him. Some of them wanted to kill him. He was beaten, flogged, put in chains, stocks, stoned, imprisoned, shipwrecked, not to mention his deep concern for all the churches as false teachers and apostles were infiltrating or jimmying their way into those churches, trying to fleece the sheep and move them away from Christ. So he had opposition from within the church and he had opposition outside of the church and he could have easily lost heart. And at times, we are prone to lose heart, are we not? As we labor for the Lord and, and, and yet see, at times, very little fruit. And we reach out to others and yet do not respond. And we evangelize, but it seems like no one is interested in what we're sharing. We lose heart because it seems like there's little passion for Christ and so little zeal for his glory, so little commitment to his kingdom, even in the churches. And we lose heart when we feel like the odd man out, not invited to certain things, not welcome at certain functions. We lose heart because we struggle and we struggle with sin. We struggle with sin. And and we want to live the right way. We want to live a way that brings God glory, but we often do not. And Jesus said the spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. And as believers, we're told not to lose heart Jesus said in John 14, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Told in Psalm 31, 24, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all you who hope in the Lord. Jesus told the parable of the persistent widow in Luke 18, and he starts it off by saying that men ought always to pray and not lose heart. Paul said in Galatians 6, let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. So we're not to lose heart. And and Paul says, I don't lose heart. I don't lose heart. He may have lost sleep. He may have lost friends. He may have lost his freedoms, but he didn't lose heart. 
And, and not lose heart is in the present tense. Uh, so it means he never loses heart. And he's not bragging here. He's just stating a fact. And he finishes out the fourth chapter the way he started the fourth chapter, saying in verse 16, therefore, we do not lose heart. And I would think he is anticipating the question that some of his readers might be asking because of what comes in between verses 1 and verse 16. And particularly, verses 8 and 9, where he said, we are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. And then in verse 11, he says, for we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake. So it would seem like Paul did lose heart. I mean, how can you take so much punishment and not lose heart? Well, he says, I didn't lose heart. And he says, you don't have to lose heart either. And then in verses 16 to 18, he gives us three ways or three truisms, if you will, on how not to lose heart. How not to lose heart. And he does so through a series of contrasts, like the outward and the inward man, like wasting away and being renewed, like momentary and eternal and affliction and glory, and then what can be seen and not seen. So what I'd like to do this morning is look at verses 16 to 18 in a sermon titled, An Eternal Weight of Glory, giving you three ways not to lose heart. Nail one, by being renewed in the inner man. Secondly, by remembering glory is eternal. And finally, by fixing your eyes on the unseen. So let's look at the first one, by being renewed in the inward man. Verse 16 again, Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. So Paul says, even though the outward man is perishing, right, and even though means this is a fact. This is an indisputable fact. Outward means the body. He's called the body, the earthen vessel in verse 7. He's called it mortal flesh uh, in verse 11. And he will call it an earthly house or a tent in chapter 5, verse 1. Perishing means decaying, corrupting, to destroy. Uh, and perishing is in the present tense, so our bodies are always in the process of perishing. Uh, and we all know that the outward man is perishing. We understand this. If you've got four or five or more decades on you, you agree with this. Right? Now, many of you in here are young, and so you don't know this yet. But, you know, listen to this 25 years from now, and you'll say, oh, I hear that now. I hear that now. It's perishing. So we all know that. Uh, uh, we all know that the outward man is perishing. Uh, for there are things that you used to be able to, you can't do anymore. So if you're like me, you can't run up steps by two and three anymore. You've got to take one at a time. You can't lift as much. Proverbs 20, 29 says, the glory of young men is their strength. Yet as we get older, we have less and less strength. Right? The bones lose density, we begin to shrink, skin becomes a little loose, we gain chins and crow's feet, uh, and gravity takes its toll on us. It's just a reality. The joints and the limbs, they begin to hurt. We don't see as well as we used to, we don't hear as well as we used to, uh, and the legs get shaky. And we seem to forget more and more things, and we get tired easier and easier, and sadly, you don't sleep as well. And then we need medicine for things we didn't need before. So we know that the outward man is perishing. David was once a mighty man of valor who slayed 10,000 of the Lord's enemies. But 
we read in 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 1, now King David was old, and by the way, that's only 70. King David was old, advanced in years, and they put covers on him. Why? Because he could not get warm. Told in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, where it says, remember now your creator in the days of your youth, before the difficult days come, and the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. And the difficult days are when you get older. And you are consumed with your own pains and struggles and agonies and probably doctor visits and all that kind of stuff. So seek God when you're young is what he's saying. Again, we know these bodies aren't going to last forever. In fact, Moses said in uh, Psalm 90, uh, the days of our lives are 70 years and if reason of strength or by strength, 10 more, 80 Paul said in Romans 7, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And if anyone knew about the outward man perishing, I'm sure it would have been Paul. Although I don't think he was a very old, old man at all. He probably seemed like one, uh, and I would guess he felt like one. I would think that because he was most likely one of those guys who looked a whole lot older than he was. And why is that? Well, because he lived a hard life as a believer. He was beaten often. He was imprisoned often. He was stoned, shipwrecked, had all kinds of sleepless nights, always on the run from persecutors. And again, not including the pressures from the peddlers of the word of God who had infiltrated the churches. It's like someone who, who drank for a lot of years or had a drug addiction for a lot of years. Their bodies have a lot of wear and tear, right? They could be like 40 and look like they're 75, well, Paul's wear and tear was not because of a drug problem or a drinking problem. It's because he was suffering for Christ's sake and the gospel's sake. And he knew that this body wasn't long for the world. But he didn't lose heart. He didn't lose heart because of the struggles and the breaking down of his body. Because he understood that the outward man is perishing and that the inward man is being renewed day by day. So in spite of his physical limitations, in spite of his aging mind, in spite of his lack of stability most likely, he didn't lose heart because his inward man was constantly being renewed. And the inward man is the unseen part of us. It's your soul or your spirit. Right? It's the part of us that was brought to life when God regenerated us. Uh, it's the part of us which is right now alive to God. You're alive in your inner man. Uh, the inward man is what 1 Peter 3 calls the hidden man of the heart. It's what Ephesians 4.24 calls the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. It is now the new heart uh, and the new spirit which God puts in us, as we read in Ezekiel 36. Uh, and the inward man is, is where we are a new creation in Christ. He'll say that in the next chapter of 2 Corinthians. It's the part of us that right now, right now is seated with Christ in the heavenly places, Ephesians 2. It's the part of us that makes us pure in heart. It's the part of us that wants to do the will of God from the heart. And because the inward man is being renewed, we no longer have an evil heart of unbelief, Hebrews 3. So the body is the natural man or the outward man and the soul or the spirit that is the inward man. And the inward man is being renewed. And the word renewed means to make new, to refresh, to strengthen, to renovate. Paul said in Colossians 3, 
put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. And by the way, the moment you were born again, the moment you were regenerated, you became the new man. And so when Paul says, put him on, he's saying, live who you are. Be who you are. Stop acting like the old man which died in Christ and now start living like the new man because you are the new man. Isaiah 40, 31 says, But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And, and they are not weary and they're not fainting in their inner man. Ephesians 3.16, Paul prays that God would strengthen the saints through his spirit in the inner man. Paul tells the Romans in Romans 12.2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's the inner man. Uh, and the mind is renewed as we put the word of God into it and seek to live by it. So because we are alive spiritually, uh, we can and we must continually be renewed spiritually. Like we feed our natural bodies every day, we need also to feed our inner man, our inward man every day. Now the word renewed uh, is in the passive voice, which indicates our outward man, uh, our inward man is being renewed by an outside power, a source, which of course is the power of God. Uh, and the word is also in the present tense, which means we're continually being renewed until the Lord calls us home. And this is a process which is synonymous with progressive sanctification. So the moment you were saved, the moment you were born again, the moment you came to faith in Christ, right, you, you were justified, legally declared perfect in the courtroom of heaven, but from that moment on, you're being sanctified. You're, you're being set apart from the old you to look more and more like the image of Christ. And that process is called progressive sanctification. And that's the renewing process. So we need to continually, day by day, uh, we need to be, be renewed in our inner man all right, to help us walk holy, to help us battle the flesh, to help us live a life of loving obedience to Christ, to be faithful to whatever he has called us to be and whatever he has called us to do. You see, we have a body or, or the flesh that wants its own ways. You know that. Uh, that wants to drive us back to the old ways before you were saved. Of course we know that. Uh, we have a flesh that can be swayed to love again the very things that God has saved us out of. And I, I understand that, and I'm pretty sure you do too. We have a flesh that wants that. So we have to be careful. We have to be on guard. We have to be, be renewed. Well, Paul doesn't lose heart. Uh, when most men would have cashed in the chips, so to speak, Paul stayed the course because he had experienced the daily supernatural renewal of God within himself. Uh, and although his body was wasting away, his soul still hungered and thirsted for God. And God kept satisfying him, kept satisfying him. And brothers and sisters, the key to this daily renewal is to be daily in the Word. It's not rocket science. The key to this daily renewal is to be daily in the Word. Daily reading and meditating on the Word. Daily praying to God for all things through Christ. And worshiping Him privately and corporately, coming together as the body for the preaching and teaching of the word, fellowshipping with the saints, knowing that iron sharpens iron, right? and by choosing the spiritual over the temporal. So although Paul was not a physically strong man, he was certainly a spiritually strong one. 
He said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 that he was content in his weaknesses. Why? For when I am weak, then I'm strong. Then I'm strong. This is why he experienced such great spiritual success in his life. In fact, his, his inward man was not hindered but actually helped by the troubles that assailed his outward man. And dear saints, they can aid our inward man as well. So don't lose heart. Don't lose heart by being renewed in the end of man. Secondly, don't lose heart by remembering glory is eternal. Glory is eternal. Verse 17, for a light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Well, Paul starts by saying, for a light affliction, and light means not heavy, not weighty, not a burden. Affliction means tribulation, distress. And he's used this word uh, in chapter 2, verse 2, where he said, for out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you. He will also use it in chapter 6, 7, and 8. And he told the Philippians in chapter 4, verse 14, you have done well and that you have shared in my distress, affliction. And we know that he had great and constant afflictions. He said in verses 8 and 9 that he was hard-pressed on every side, perplexed, persecuted, struck down. He'll say in chapter 6 that he suffered afflictions, hardships, stripes, imprisonments, tumults, sleeplessness, and hunger. And he'll give you this long resume of suffering and afflictions in chapter 11, verses 23 to 27, where he says, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently. He's talking about compared to the false apostles who have infiltrated the church. Uh, he goes, in deaths often, from the Jews five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. In journeys often. In perils of water. In perils of robbers. In perils of my own countrymen. In perils of the Gentiles. In perils in the city. In perils in the wilderness. In perils in the sea. In perils among false brethren. In weariness and toil. In sleeplessness often. In hunger and thirst. In fastings often in cold and nakedness. There's the resume. And the disconnect for us here may be this. After all of this, after what we just read, all of the struggles and sufferings and pain and hardships he suffered, how could he say his afflictions are light? To us, they seem really heavy. I mean, do you know what a flogging was? Do you know what a flogging did to your back? It tore skin and muscles and exposed nerves and did all kinds of amazing things. I am sure that Paul, was a, his back was a, a walking roadmap of scars. Beaten with rods. That doesn't seem like a light affliction to us. Being cast into prison, right? Stoned, put in stocks. And by the way, prison in those days, don't think of prison in our day. It was brutal. It was brutal. You died, you died. Nobody cared. So it's a disconnect for us. It's a disconnect that he says this. And so what he calls light, most of us will say, colossal. That is colossal. We may view being mocked, we may view being mocked for offering someone a gospel tract as a huge affliction. Or 
by people opposing us for not allowing our kids to do what their kids do because it goes against what we believe. That's an affliction for us. That's a heavy affliction maybe. Or being shunned by family and friends for our stance on Christ and our stance on his word. And by the way, the way the, the culture is going, well, how could we not go against it over and over and over again? But we can view those mockings and sayings as, as a major affliction against us. Or the name calling. Or the gossip by coworkers and families because of our faith in Christ. They could be to us an immense affliction. And some professing believers, they don't want to suffer any affliction at all for the gospel's sake. Light or heavy. And by the way, everything Paul is saying here about his afflictions and sufferings, it's in the context of for the gospel. For Jesus' sake. Now, if Paul isn't, you'll see this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Right? If he stops preaching the gospel, I'm telling you things are going to get better for him. He's not going to suffer that much, but he can't stop. He can't stop. So if we suffer for Christ's sake, for sharing his gospel, for standing up for truth, remember that there are believers all around the world that are suffering a whole lot more than you and I probably will ever know in this life. But Paul calls his afflictions light. Here's why. Because he knew they were temporary or just for a moment. And he compared them to the glory to come, which made them really minuscule. Now when he says they're light, He's not saying they don't hurt. Paul's no Iron Man, right? He's no Superman. They hurt. Right? He's, he's not saying he doesn't ask God to heal them or to get rid of them. He will plead with God in chapter 12 of this, this, this letter to take away the thorn in the flesh. He's going to plead with him. He doesn't want it. It hurts him. It bothers him. It hinders him. He doesn't want it. And when he says there for a moment, he doesn't mean 60 seconds. He doesn't mean 60 minutes. He doesn't mean 60 days. They may be for six years. They may be for the rest of his life. He doesn't know. But when compared to eternity, they are like a dot on a 10 million mile long line. Or they're like a, gra a grain of sand at the beach. It's as if Paul has a scale. And on one side, he puts all of his afflictions. And on the other side, he puts the eternal weight of glory. And and the side of the eternal word of glory goes way down and it thrusts the other side of afflictions way up. Because they're so much lighter. Or as the ESV will render this verse, this momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Beyond all comparison. Which means there is no comparison. You can't compare this. No comparison here. Right? When you consider your afflictions in light of eternal glory, there is no comparison. So Paul views his afflictions as light because he views them from the perspective of eternity. He viewed them in light of the glory to come, which is eternal. Thus, which that is weighty. So it is because the coming glory is so weighty that his presence afflictions seem so light. He knows his sufferings are not forever, and he knows there will be an end to them. He knows the worst that man can do to him is kill him, take his life, but they can't touch his soul. And quite honestly, all they would be doing is catapulting him into heaven with Christ. There was an evangelist in the early 1900s. His name was Billy Sunday. He was a, actually a Major League Baseball player for a short time, uh, and he had a real zeal uh, for sharing the gospel. And so one day... Story goes, he was uh, walking through an alleyway and some mugger came up to him, 
pulled a gun out and said, give me your money or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill you. He said, you can't threaten me with heaven. And that's it. You can't threaten us with heaven. Take my life, I go to glory. That was his mindset. Well, Paul also knew because he wrote Romans 8.28, which says, all things work together for good. All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. That means even his afflictions were working for his good. Even his suffering is being used by God in his life for his own sanctification and for the advancement of the kingdom. Did you ever think of that? Have you ever thought your suffering or trials or things that you're going through, first of all, they're working for your good. You've got God's word on that. You've got God's word on that. How it is, maybe you know, maybe you don't. Clearly, it's stripping you of you and causing you to trust him more, right? Depleting you of yourself, your own ability, your own, your own thinking, and thrusting you on him more. And who knows what else God is doing to grow his kingdom through the mundane things or the struggles that we go through in life. Amen? So our suffering is for a season. Just as Christ's sufferings were for a season or for a moment. And he certainly did not lose heart. We read in Hebrews 12 too, For the joy that was set before him... He endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And the joy that was set before him was eternal glory. Eternal glory with you as bride. You're the prize. You're the prize. You're the inheritance. Amen? So, so suffering doesn't last because this life doesn't last. And as I said, our lives are short in the big scheme of things. And I know we don't think that way, but they really are. James 4.14 says, we're like vapor. Our lives are like vapor. They go out for a second or two, and then they vanish, and they go away. First uh, Chronicles 29 says, our, our days on earth are like a shadow, here and gone. Job 14.1 says, our days here are few and full of trouble. We don't have too many. And even the ones we have, they're not so easy. Psalm 90, 39 says our days are a few, a few hand breaths, like very short. So Paul knew nothing in this life was permanent. He knew if, if he lived for Christ here, that he would be with him forever in glory, which he called gain. Gain. Philippians 1.21, right? As for me, to live is Christ. I don't care what you do. I'm telling you what, what governs my life is Christ. And to die is gain. Why is thy gain? Because I go to the one I live for now. I see the one I pray to now. I'm in the presence of the one I love now. Amen? But how many view what they have here now or what they have in this life now is permanent? They think this is always going to be what it is. We don't think of death. We don't think of leaving here. As far as we're concerned, we're making plans for tomorrow and next year and 20 years and 30 years and 50 years. We're just planning away, right? And we should plan away because, because we don't know how long we're going to have. We should plan. But some people think this is the end all. Nothing else is ever going to be until they hear you have stage four cancer. Until they hear you have an incurable disease. And then they think. Well, Paul is saying the problems of this life, which seem so heavy right now, and which seem like they will never end and are causing you great distress are really just waiting for a moment. Just waiting for a moment. 
uh, so you can weather them and continue serving God, God because there's a much bigger picture here. Much bigger picture. Because what, what the afflictions are doing for the child of God is preparing them for an eternal weight of glory. They are preparing them for something much weightier than their afflictions, which is glory. You see, our afflictions help take our eyes off of this world and the pleasantries of this world and help us to put them on eternal things. They help us to consider what is really important and they grow our desire for what isn't perishing, which is glory. They remind us of who we are in Christ and what's coming our way because of that. So our afflictions for Christ only help us to long for the one we suffer for. For we know the cross comes before the crown. Isn't that not true when you don't feel good, when you're struggling greatly, whether it be physical or emotional or, 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 or relational, or you're suffering because of the gospel's sake? It's like you're not worried about like a lot of other stuff in life. It's just not mattering. And your heart is put in another place. Now let me ask you something. Do you think any saint in heaven right now any saint in heaven right now would say that their afflictions while they lived in this life were just too weighty. Were just too weighty. That their suffering here was too much. You think so? I don't think so. I don't, if whether they were the Apostle Paul who suffered maybe more than any man will ever know or some brother or sister who died in the Sudan or any of the millions of Christians that were martyred over the last 2,000 years or someone that you knew and loved, uh, that loved the Lord and suffered greatly in their life, do you think now they're saying, what a rough ride I had there. So glad it's over. No. No, man. Now they have the end of their faith. Now their faith is sight, right? They see the king. All of that now is a distant memory. We've got to remember that. Now let me correct the potential error here. And that is that your afflictions are not the reason for your glory. Your afflictions are not the reason for your glory. Paul is not saying that your afflictions earn you glory. Right? No one's afflictions merit them glory as some may think. They would say, well, the more afflictions, the more glory, so let me just suffer more. That would be very foolish and, and untrue. Not at all. Because that's not the gospel. Every believer, whether greatly afflicted or mildly afflicted, are all glorified, all enter into his eternal glory. And what enables us uh, to the glories of heaven is the work of Christ and Christ alone. That's it. The work of Christ and Christ alone. Colossians 1.27 says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. What gives you glory? Christ does. Christ in you is your guarantee, your hope of it. 2 Peter 1.3 says, God called us to his own glory and excellence. Jude 1.24 says, the Lord will present you blameless, blameless before the presence of his glory. 2 Timothy 2 says that all saints obtain salvation in Jesus with eternal glory. And Romans 8.16 and 17 says, we are children of God and heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ and if we indeed suffer with him, we also will be glorified together with him. Glory. So Paul was looking forward to glory. When his lowly body would be transformed into his glorious body, even like the one Jesus has now. And that's the culmination of your salvation. Right? right? He's already saved your, your inner man, your soul. 
That is resurrected, so to speak, but your body's still going down. Going to raise that one up in the end. Body and soul, that's how he created you. In body and soul, he'll glorify you. Paul knew what Peter said in 1 Peter 5.10, that after we suffered a while, the God of all grace would fulfill his call of him to eternal glory in Christ. And he knew this glory was weighty because he would be in the presence of the glorious one where there's no sin, there's no sorrow, there's no death, no suffering, no weeping, but pure and holy worship. There's no devil, no demons, nothing that can defile or destroy, no division, no cares or worries, and where our bodies will be perfected and we will gaze upon the lover of our souls. And this will go on forever and ever and ever because there's no more time. God gets rid of time. And if we think about these things now, we'll be armed against losing heart or complaining or not being content. John Calvin said this, he said, a moment is long if we look at the things around us. But once we have raised our minds to heaven, a thousand years begins to look like a moment because of the eternal life that awaits us there. So the first way not to lose heart is by knowing the outward man is perishing, but the inward man is being renewed all the time. The second way to not lose heart is to have the right perspective on this life and the next one. Now, the third way not to lose heart is by fixing your eyes on the unseen. By fixing your eyes on the unseen. In verse 18, we read, While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So Paul says, I don't look at things which can be seen. Why? Because they're temporary. And the things which are seen are the physical things, like the decaying of the body like maybe in his case, the inside of a prison cell, or how little food is on the plate, or what his living conditions were like. Uh, so he doesn't look at his literal troubles, uh, like the false teachers and false apostles who are carrying around letters of recommendation. He doesn't fix his eyes on his Jewish and Gentile opponents. He doesn't fix his eyes on the literal mess the Corinthian believers were. You see, if your eyes are fixed on your troubles, you will lose heart. You just will. We will. If your eyes are fixed on, on the moral demise of our society and the expansion of wickedness all around it, you'll lose heart. If you look at the lack of commitment among professing Christians and the worldliness which has embraced so many, you will lose heart. If you fixate on the all-out affront there is against the Word of God and against God and His Christ in every sphere of life that we live in, you'll lose heart. If you look at your money shrinking and your quality of life decreasing because the prices of everything have gone up everywhere and you worry about it, you will lose heart. But Paul didn't lose heart because he doesn't look at those things. He doesn't look at the things that can be seen. He knows what they are. He's not oblivious to the world he lives in. He knows what they are. He knows they're there. He feels the effect of them. But they're not his focus. Why? Because they're temporary. They're temporary. Now the words to look are important words here because they're not just a glance or a passing look, right? They're not, they're not that way at all. Rather they mean to stare at, to gaze upon. 
Uh, so Paul didn't set his gaze upon temporary things, right, things that are here today and gone tomorrow, uh, things that are of no eternal consequence. Instead, he set his gaze on unseen things, things which are not temporary, things which are eternal, things like the gospel and the spread of the gospel, things like the souls of men, which are eternal. I was talking to a brother a little while ago, here for two weeks, ministry to colleges here in Manhattan. Amen, amen, brother. Preach the gospel. That's eternal. Souls are eternal. Men and women are perishing. What are we doing? What are we saying? How are we, how are we reacting to that? Hope guys like him do it. We all just sit back. What do we share the word? Do we say a word in season? Do we step out of the comfort zone? Invite people here. Listen to a sermon by Pastor Harry. I think you'll love it. What do we do? Eternal. Things like what Paul said in verse 14, that he and all the saints would be raised up together when Christ returned. That's eternal. Things like the much more glory he spoke about of the new covenant. So he looked to Christ who was the author and finisher of his faith, the one who came to seek him and to save him. Right, the one who gave his life for him on the cross so that he could live forever with him in glory. The one who reconciled him to the Father. The one who made him pure and holy and blameless in his sight. You see, Paul was looking for and waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Second Peter 3. He was looking for and waiting for the glorious appearing of his great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So then he was like Moses which Hebrews 11.10 says that by faith was looking for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And then in verse 27 says, by faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. Why? For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. So the saints see what is invisible. Spiritually speaking, we have x-ray vision. Spiritually speaking, right? We can see things that, that, that the world can't see because we have, we have eyes of faith. We see these things through the eyes of faith. And that's because 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says, we are no longer blinded by the God of this world. That's Satan. Before you were saved, you had blinders on. You couldn't see here, you couldn't see there, you couldn't see out there because you were blinded by the God of this world. But then when the gospel of Christ came to you and ripped open your heart, you saw, you believed, you trusted, you repented, you received, you came. And now you live for him, right? But before that, you couldn't see anything spiritually speaking. But now you can. Now you can. And now you have a hope that is true and sure. And as Romans 8.24 says, hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? That makes sense, right? Why am I hoping for something if it's already, I see it already. But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. I don't see Jesus right now, physically. But I know I will. He's promised me I will see him. Job knew that all the way back thousands of years before the New Testament was written. I'll see my Redeemer, and so will you and I. So we are waiting for and trusting in and fixing our minds on the invisible world. 
A.W. Tozer said this. He said, the invisible world that is described in the Bible is the only real world. It is the only real world. And how true that is. Because this world is temporary. It's passing away. But the world to come is forever. So when we set our gaze on the eternal instead of the temporary, on the unseen and instead of, or rather than the seen, the inner man is being renewed. And it affects our perception on life. And we begin to grasp that our afflictions in this life are only for a moment. And they are preparing us for glory. Amen? Well, let me close by asking three questions. Three questions. And the first one is this. Do you focus more on the outward man or on the inward man? Now, of course, you have to focus on the outward man. You've got to feed your body. You've got to clothe yourself. Give it some exercise. Hopefully get some ample rest. But do you focus more on the outward than on the inward man? Are you feeding and exercising the inward man? Or are you just busy with the outward man? And is the inward man starving? Brothers and sisters, we are spiritual people. We are spiritually alive. For the Holy Spirit of God dwells in us. And we need to keep feeding or fueling our hearts and minds with spiritual things. We need to keep feeding them the things of God. And we need to do some of those things with the people of God. Spiritual people need spiritual food. We need to do spiritual things. Second question, and related to the first. Are you being renewed day by day? Are you being renewed day by day? Uh, And the renewal that God gives is daily, right? Yesterday's grace was for for yesterday. Last week's grace was for last week. It's not for today. It's not for today. We need grace for today, uh, for the troubles we come against today, every day. And in order to be renewed daily, we need to have daily communion with the Lord. You see, you can't expect to be daily renewed when you're distant from the Lord most of the days. Listen, if this is the only preaching, teaching gospel that you're getting this week, You're hungry. You're starving. You're not getting enough. Right? That baby needs more food or that adult needs more food. We need to daily be feeding ourselves. And you can't expect to be daily renewed when you're distant from the Lord. So this behooves us to be in his word daily, reading, meditating. As I said before, it behooves us to be praying to him. It, It behooves us to be pleading with God to help us live by what we're learning in his word. So then are you in the habit of daily devotions? Because if you're not, then you're probably not being renewed daily in your inner man. And it may be that, that you become certainly more apt to lose heart when life's curveballs are being thrown at you. May it be that the saints at First Baptist are constantly making provisions for the renewing of the inward man. Amen? Third question, do your sufferings and hardships and trials and troubles and afflictions cause you to long for the glory to come? Does whatever you're going through today move you to think about an eternal weight of glory? If they do, then you are viewing them correctly. Uh, Then your mind is set on the eternal over the temporary. Uh, then you are focusing on things that are of the greatest value, which are unseen things. But if they don't, if they don't, uh, 
if you are burdened by your troubles, if they seem overbearing and overwhelming, then you need to ask God to help refocus your heart. Lord, help me to see your way. Help me not to be overwhelmed and overcome and, and made useless because I'm so struggling with whatever's going on in my life. Help me to see them like Paul saw them, like the saints of old saw them, like those who trust you now see them. Please give me a heavenly perspective. Now, if your focus is never heavenly, never heavenly, you never think on these things ever, uh, then the truth is you don't know God and, and your outward man is perishing and your inward man is not being renewed because your inward man is still spiritually dead. Uh, and your afflictions are not momentary or light in your eyes, uh, but you need to know if you don't turn to Christ, if you don't repent of your sins and believe in him for the forgiving of your sins and the saving of your souls, that your greatest affliction still awaits you. Uh, and that is an eternal damnation in a place called hell. And that is never-ending, forever, ever agony and misery and torment for the wages of your sins against God. And that is a very hard truth, but a truth. But if you look to things today unseen, if you look to God to forgive you of your sins and trust that on the cross Christ paid your sin debt that you owed God in full, if you look to Jesus who went to the cross because of his love for you and turn from your sins and surrender your life to him, he'll forgive you and he'll save you and he'll bring your inward man to life and he will prepare you for glory. Don't let it go. Don't walk away unsaved. Don't blow it off like, I don't need that. You need it. You never know how long you have here. Life is but a vapor. Let's pray. Father, how we need to live the word of God, and Lord, forgive us for we often struggle and forget these truths that we do know. Help us to trust that you're in control. Help us to trust that our struggles and problems and afflictions and hardships, Lord, are divinely ordained. It's not an outside thing going on. Uh, Lord, it's not haphazard. Lord, you sovereignly ordain those things for us to grow us, to sharpen us, to wean us away from the world, to show us that our faith is real uh, and prepare us for the work you have us to do now. And Lord, prepare us for glory to come. And I pray that you would strengthen every saint in this room. And Lord, I pray that you would save those who aren't. And I pray you would do it for your glory's sake. In Jesus' name, amen.